Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. The following podcast is available on SoundCloud Millerville Church and subscribe to us on iTunes under Podcasts. Look for Religion and Spirituality and Millerville Community Church. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Good morning. So we just finished Valentine's Day, and we all love a, a good love story. So I hope you watched um, a Hallmark movie on Valentine's Day. <laughs> So Arnie and I, this is Arnie, my husband, and uh, we're not the first ones to get married um, in our family. My brother Tom, um, who is older than me by tons, (laughs) two years, um, he got married first, and he married Arnie's sister, Linda, who they also go to this church when they're um, not in Hawaii, they are here. And so uh, Tom and Linda got married, and um, weddings are a great place to meet somebody, and that's where Arnie and I met, was at their wedding. And a year and a bit later, Arnie and I got married. And then a few years later, my other brother Paul married Arnie's other sister, Lily. So uh, we have three in our family, three marriages of brothers and sisters, and uh, all get along really, really well. So um, we always um, really like those. There's a lot more to the love stories than just what I tell you, but it's kind of interesting how these two families were similar enough that there were so many weddings right within the same family. And uh, the, the kids of those marriages all call themselves double cousins because they're from the same genetic pool, and um, they just decided they'd never get married to each other, <laughs> which is a good thing. Anyway, uh, today's story is a love story, and it's from Genesis, and we've been following through with the covenant and looking at covenant, and now um, we move into the time of Isaac. So let's just bow in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the things that you teach us in your word, but most of all, how you show your heart to us, how you show us your great love. And as we look at um, this love story today, we pray that we would see the greater love. You are the source of all love, and we thank you for giving us this wonderful gift to be able to love one another, but most of all, to be able to love you in return. Um, because you have first loved us. So we would just ask that you be with us now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, we're in Genesis chapters 24, and then I'm going to skip over to 26. I'm leaving 25 out, so just in case you're wondering why I'm not doing 25, we will get to it. But today I just wanted to really talk about Isaac and Rebecca. And we've been talking about God's covenant, and the first covenant that we were given was actually the marriage covenant, and then um, the covenant to take care of the world and all that uh, God gave to us to care for. 
And then uh, God moved into this personal covenant with Abraham. And we saw in Genesis 15 where God cut covenant, or Kareth Bereth is the um, Hebrew for that. And when you see that, it's actually much more than just, you know, he made some vows. It's like they cut covenant, and it's a permanent thing. And so they cut between the pieces of the flesh, and God did that um, in Genesis 15 with Abraham, where Abraham cut all these animals and laid them, you know, like cut them this way and then laid them in half. And uh, God, not Abraham, but God himself, went through the channel between the cut pieces or the torn pieces of flesh. And in that covenant, we see the torn flesh of Jesus on the cross. So always in covenant, we're looking at what God did um, as Jesus loving us on the cross. And so that really is where covenant um, always points to. But we have covenant throughout Scripture, and uh, God made a covenant to Abraham. And when he made the covenant, he promised Abraham some things. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you land, the land that I brought you to. So he brought him out of Ur, which is over in what we would know today as um, Iran, and he brought him out and brought him into the land of um, the promised land, which is Israel. And he said, this is the land that I will give you. And so I'll give you land, and it's for you and your descendants after you. I will also make your name great. Now, Abraham at this point had no children, and he's getting on in years. But God says, I will give you a child, and through him, through the seed will come the seed, which is Jesus Christ. And he will be a blessing to all the nations, not just to your nation that will come from you, you know, not just the nation of Israel, but to all nations, all the families on earth. He will be a blessing. And so essentially, I always think of it, the easy way to remember it is God gave to Abraham the land, the seed, and the nation. And so uh, that was the promise given to Abraham. Now, he died without really seeing the fulfillment of all of that, except for, of course, he had the son Isaac. And if you know the whole story, you know that he had a bit of a detour with Hagar. They had Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the son of the promise because uh, the, the promise was made, but Abraham was not circumcised. And after Abraham was circumcised, then he and Sarah not Hagar, but he and Sarah conceived Isaac. And so Isaac is the son of promise, whereas Ishmael was um, what is later called the son of the bondwoman. And so the son of promise, Isaac, is the one where we have our focus today. And Isaac, um, his name was never changed. Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham, showing God's um, name in his name. And Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, and then later, the, the next generation, Jacob's name will be changed to Israel. But Isaac's name was given by God, and his name was never changed, and his name means laughter. And it's really the joy of salvation, the joy of, of the Lord, is um, what causes us to have that joy. And so he um, is born and uh, you know, lives a long time with Abraham, and eventually Sarah dies. And Sarah was 127 years old, actually, when she died. She had um, Isaac at 90 years old, so she lived a long time. But uh, Abraham was old now, and he's advanced in years. 
140 years, which I would say is pretty advanced in years. And uh, he's about 140 years old. And uh, he says that he needs, to, um, that it's about time that Isaac got married. So Isaac is about 40 and he's not married yet. And Abraham says, it's about time, son, that you got married because the family line needs to carry on through Isaac. And that's really how the Lord is going to bless not just Abraham, but all the nations, all the families of the world are going to be blessed through this family line. So it's quite important that Isaac does get married. And so he says, it's time you got married. And he says, but I don't want it to be one of these Canaanite women that we live amongst. It's got to be somebody from you know, our family. So this is all quite legit, just like our family, three marriages. It's all quite legit. There's no weird things going on there. And so he says, I want you to go back, and you're going to have somebody from our family. But he doesn't want to send Isaac. He instead sends his servant, his oldest servant. Doesn't say his name, but we know from other scripture that this is likely still Eliezer. It may not be, but it's likely to be still Eliezer. And Eliezer's been a faithful servant all these years to Abraham. And so, um, and in fact, at one point, Abraham thought before Isaac was born, he thought, well, you know, the inheritance is going to be through Eliezer. And God said, no, it's not going to be through Eliezer. It's going to be through a son from, from you. And so uh, Eliezer, in a sense, stepped aside for Isaac. But Eliezer is faithful, and he's not a jealous guy. And he loves Abraham, and he loves the Lord God, and he trusts the Lord God. So it's not just Abraham that trusts God. There's others in his household that do as well. And so um, Abraham says to Eliezer, I want you to swear to me that you will go up to um, my father's family, which is now living up in Haran or Padam Aran, or you might read it as um, Nahorian Aram, which is Nahor's town. So Nahor was the, the brother, and so he says, I want you to go up to that area. It's, it's um, Tehran. The father had long ago died, and these two brothers, Abraham and Nahor, and uh, Nahor stayed up in Haran, whereas Abraham came down into the promised land. And so he says, I want you to go up where Nahor's family is. And Nahor had a son named Bethuel, and uh, Bethuel had a daughter named Rebekah. And so, um, so Eliezer um, makes the, the oath with Abraham that he will go up, and he says, do you want me to take Isaac with me? And the Lord says to him, no, never let Isaac go back. Now, Isaac's never lived there. So what Abraham is really saying is he's never to go back to where God has taken me out of. And I think of, um, you know, that's Ur. And so all these people, even though the rest of the family had settled in Haran, they never made it down into the promised land except for Abraham. And so I think of, you know, the people from Ur. I'm thinking, what would you call people from Ur? Urbanites. <laughs> <laughs> So all these urbanites are living there, and he says, They're not, you're not to take Isaac back to where God has called me out of. And so, these, um, so Eliezer, um, he gathers together um, sort of a, a bit of a caravan because he's going to take gifts up with him, like marriage kind of gifts. And so he's going to take these up with him, and so he collects up with him ten camels. 
and the ten servants to go with him, and then lots of, um, you know, jewels and good stuff, clothing, that kind of stuff. When you think of clothing, we think of our kind of clothing, and, well, how do you know what will fit that person? Well, these would be these, like, these beautiful sarongs and things that, you know, they'll fit anyone. So um, he, he bundles that all up on the camels, and then they go on their journey up to the Northland. And so um, Isaac is left behind. His father has decided that the servant is going to choose a wife for Isaac. And, um, you know, Isaac's not really in the picture at this point. So Eliezer goes up to uh, Haran, and um, he prays. And he, as he comes close to this area, he bows down to the Lord. And he asks the Lord to please lead him and guide him. So all that Abraham has said is, you know, go up to that area and look for a wife from, from that family for my son. That's his direction. So now he's got to figure out, well, how do I do that? It's not like they had telephones or Internet or Facebook and they kind of know who this distant family is. They don't know anything except for, you know, the odd messenger that may have gone back over the years. So he bows down to the Lord and he says to the Lord, Lord, I need you to guide me. And so I'm going to go to a well and... Um, ask, you know, a young woman there, if I see a young woman, if she would give me some water to drink. And uh, if she then also offers to water my camels, then I will know that that's the one that you've chosen. And so he goes up to um, a well that he sees up in that area, and he stops, and it doesn't tell us if he did this a number of times, but it does tell us about this particular time. And so he goes to the well, and it has a spring coming out of it. And, you know, our well is kind of like that. The overflow has a spring. So I'm thinking because of the rest of the story, there must have been a spring. She couldn't have been dipping down into the well itself because of what follows. So she says, um, so he sees this woman, and he asks her for a drink. And, and, you know, she has the jug up on her shoulder, and she pulls, she says, of course, uh, you know, you can have a drink. So she takes the jug off her shoulder. She's like, beautiful. And she's, um, it says that she's single and she's never been with a man. So like she's perfect so far. And so he says to her, could I have a drink of water? And uh, she pulls the jug down and, and she dips the dipper in and gives him, you know, some water to drink. And I can imagine what's going through her mind because she's looking at him and looking at basically his wealth of 10 camels. So he's obviously a wealthy guy. And, you know, she doesn't know his story at all, doesn't know him at all from a hole in the ground. And she's thinking to herself and looking at these 10 camels. And I looked up what a camel can drink. (laughs) A camel can drink 200 liters in less than three minutes. Now, that is a thirsty animal. <laughs> so, And they pick camels, of course, for desert travel because they can go, they can store so much water and last for such a long time without drinking. But when they drink, they drink. And so she's looking at these 10 camels. And if I were her, and she, she's thinking, and if I were her, I'd be thinking, should I offer or not? 
like the polite thing to do is to offer to take care, because you don't just take somebody's water from any old well. These are obviously wells that are valuable. And so, you know, he's not, he's in his politeness should be wait, should, you know, be offered this water. But she's thinking, you know, should I offer or shouldn't I offer? Should I, shouldn't I? And she says to him, I could water your camels for you as well. And he says, great. That would be great. And in a way that kind of like would be a puzzling kind of way, not like, oh, thank you, and you know, maybe I could help you. No, Eliezer doesn't help her. <laughs> he just sits there, and it says he watches her as she's watering all these camels. So I figured this would take her probably five or six hours to water all these camels. So surely those ten servants that went with him must have helped, I'm hoping. I don't know. So anyway, either way, these camels all get watered, and uh, he asks her, you know, who her family is. And she says, well, my father, they always start, you know, with the older generation. My father, meaning grandfather, is Nahor, and he had a son, Bethuel, and he married Milcah, and I'm Milcah's daughter. So sort of the family chain, like, you know, the whole shebang. And so that's what she says. Well, as soon as he hears these names, he knows this is Abraham's family. And he he doesn't jump on her and say, oh, that's so exciting, I'm so excited. You Let me tell you the whole story. He says, oh, and he falls down and he bows and he worships the Lord. And he thanks the Lord for bringing him here. He knows that God has answered his prayer. And I love this about Eliezer, that he just takes that time to thank the Lord. How many times have our prayers been answered and we forget that we even prayed and asked? And we don't think to thank the Lord for what he has done. And so he just stopped and he thanked the Lord and, um, you know, obviously prayed that the rest would go well. And so uh, he says, this is fantastic. I come from my master is Abraham, and Abraham is Nahor's brother. And she says, oh, well, you know, your family, you've got to come home with me. We have plenty of room there. We have, you know, stables for your camels. We have um, rooms for your servants and certainly a space for you. And so she takes him home with her and brings him. Now, um, Eliezer pulled out of his sack. Now there's starting to be a bit of a, a relationship here, and she's just watered all these camels, and I don't know if he's giving her this stuff to say thank you for watering my camels or because she's really beautiful and that's what you give to beautiful women always you give them jewelry just remember that and uh, so I don't know what it is but he pulls out of his sack some bracelets gold bracelets and a gold nose ring so you see nose rings have been around forever like that's not a new thing and so uh, he gives this to her and uh, they go back, and so she's taking him back to Bethuel's household, but really, um, it would seem Bethuel's probably pretty old by now, and Laban is her brother. Now, if you know Laban, you know, he's kind of a, a sly kind of character. He's not, he's not got the best character in the world, but anyway, it says that he sees her gold bracelets and nose ring. That's what he sees. He doesn't see anything else. That's what he sees right away is, whoa, 
my sister just got all this gold. And he goes to Eliezer, oh, you are so welcome here. And I hope you've got more gold for me too. And uh, he invites him in. And um, basically, it looks like Laban is sort of the head of the household now. So Basul, that's why I think Basul is probably pretty old and um, you know, not as involved as, as Laban is with the household. And so uh, they come in. And they um, and he says, let's have, you know, we'll get out a meal and we'll have a meal together. And Eliezer says, no, he says, we're not going to eat until I've told you my business and we've settled the business. So business first, lunch second. Always, that's how it always goes. And so he says to him, my um, master is named Abraham and he is Nahor's brother. And his son, he has a son that was given to him as a promise, born in his old age. So when Abraham and Sarah were very old, they had this son Isaac, and he was born to them, and he's the son of promise. And God has promised to bless him abundantly. He has blessed my master abundantly. He has so many herds, and he has so many flocks, and he has a lot of gold and a lot of silver, and you know he's just got a lot of wealth. And that's from the Lord. It's all from the Lord. And God has really blessed him. And now he wants his son married, and he doesn't want his son to marry any of those Canaanite women, which I think is a really good um, principle that we are to remember is, um, you know, God has called us to marry like-minded, like-spirited people who also love the Lord. And so um, he sent me here, and he made me swear that I would, um, you know, do exactly what I'm doing now. And so I prayed to the Lord, and um, between the Lord and I, we decided that I would go to this well, and I would ask for some drink. And if the young woman who gave me something to drink also offered to water my camels, that she was the one. So all this happened. And so now here I am, and I'm asking you um, if I can have Rebecca to take home to be Isaac's wife. And, of course, um, you know, that would mean the dowry and everything else, which is what all those ten camels are about. And so uh, Laban thinks this is a great idea, and they talk to the um, Rebecca's mom, and she thinks that's a great idea. And so... Um, they say, yes, that sounds great. And uh, so now let's, let's eat. And he says, um, okay, then we will have, and I think it would be like a covenant meal. You always see a meal that goes with covenant. And this would be like the covenant meal. And uh, they, um, you know, they stay overnight, and then the plan is to go the next day. Well, the next day comes, and Laban and the mom say, well, just wait, you know, just another 10 days. Just wait 10 days and help us to get used to the whole idea of Rebecca leaving. And uh, Eliezer, unlike Jacob later down the road, who also is going to be in a similar situation, Eliezer says, no, we don't wait. And I, I think it's a really good illustration that when God tells us to do something, and it's something that he's learned from Abraham. When Abraham was told by the Lord to do something, Abraham immediately obeyed. You know, take Isaac and sacrifice him. Early the next morning, he got up and he took Isaac for the sacrifice. And that was really the pattern of Abraham's life, to obey right away. And to think about getting around to obeying is actually called disobedience. It's not obeying. 
And Eliezer has learned this lesson from Abraham. And so when Laban says, well, you know, just wait around, which is Laban's way, he'll, you know, delay that and then delay again. And have you ever met people like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, right, I forgot. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Oh, well, I've got this other thing I've got to do first, but I'll do it after that. And it's delayed and delayed and delayed. That's Laban. And he does it on purpose because his plan, of course, is to milk this for as much as he can. And so, uh, but Eliezer says, no, we're on our way. And they say, well, we'll give Rebecca a choice. This is super important in understanding the love relationship. Love is not something that you can tell somebody to do. It has to be a choice from them. And they have to choose to love. Now think about this. Everything in the scripture is to point to Jesus somehow. Jesus chose to love us. He did not have to come and die on the cross. He could have said, forget it. I'm not doing this. But he chose to come because he loves. And he chose to love us. And do you know what? He gives each of us the opportunity to choose to love him. He doesn't say, you will love me, and that's all there is to it. He's God. He could make our minds just snap into obedience, but he doesn't do that. He wants us to love him, and so he gives us choice. And so Rebecca is given choice, and she says, no. She says, I will go today. She says no to her family. I'm leaving. I will go today. And so she packs up her things and takes her maidservant with her, and she leaves her family home, the urbanites behind, and she too must travel. So there's this leaving and cleaving, leaving her family and cleaving to um, Isaac, who will be her husband. And so they, um, she's now on this caravan and traveling down into the promised land. And so she comes down there, and uh, she's, you know, it takes several days, a week or so, or maybe two weeks um, when you're traveling that slowly. And so eventually they come down into the area where Abraham lives. Now Isaac lives in um, Bir Lahai Roy, and um, which is south of there. It's in the Negev, which is in the southern part of Israel. So he's there, and for some, re- some reason, you know, God has led him to come up to Hebron, where, um, you know, in the area of Hebron, where Abraham lives. So he's up in this er- area, and Eliezer comes with Rebekah, and she sees him walking in the field, like coming up you know, to that same area. She sees him walking. Like, it's just like, is this coincidence? I don't think so. And so he's coming from this distant area, and she sees him, and she says, I don't know why she would say this to him, but it's just such a God story, because, um, you know, they must have seen other people wandering around, but she says to Eliezer, "Is, is that him? And Eliezer says, yes, that's him. And so she takes her veil and puts her veil over her face because she's going to now meet her husband-to-be. And so she puts the veil over her face and she gets down off of the camel because, you know, you've got to arrange your outfit properly. And um, she gets off of her camel and um, Isaac sees her and he comes and he meets her. 
and it says that um, he took her to his mother's tent, which means, and he married her, you know, so now he's moving into that role, and he's, he's moving her into the role of being the, you know, the head woman there, and um, he moves her into the tent, and it says, and he loved her. So right from the moment he saw her, he loved her. You know what he'd been doing all this time? He'd been praying, and he had been waiting for God to bring to him who his bride would be. And he trusted Abraham, and then he trusted Eliezer, and now he's trusted God with his choice. And so God has brought Rebekah into Isaac's life, and Isaac has chosen to love Rebekah. And he loved her. And um, I think they had a very happy marriage together. They had some ups and downs that we'll hear about the next time. But overall, they had a very good marriage. And so they were married, and they dwelt there. Now, that's a covenant that's based on love, and it's based on choice. And that's really um, the covenants that God gives to us, are these covenants of love. They are based on love because he loves us. And so um, in the following stories that happen, uh, I'm skipping over them having children, we'll come back to that later, but quite a bit later, there's another famine in the land, famine that was similar to in Abraham's day, like severe famine, so much so that they've got to move because there's no way that they have enough for all their herds and flocks and stuff. So um, Isaac takes all of his herds and flocks and his family down into Gerar, which is in Philistine territory, still part of the promised land, but it's in Philistine territory, and he gets down to Gerar. Now that's get, you know, starting to curve around the Mediterranean Sea there, and of course if you keep going, then that goes right to Egypt, and that's where Abraham had gone. And so Isaac is probably thinking, I'll head down to Egypt where you know, there's going to be food. And the Lord stops him at Gerar and says to him, do not go down into Egypt. And Egypt for us is always the representation of slavery. And he stops him from going. And so he stops in Gerar and he basically settles there for the time being until the famine will pass. And so it says that they're there for a long time. And he does the same thing his dad did, which is, ugh, just think about these footsteps that we leave and what happens. So he says, you know, Rebecca's beautiful. Abraham said, Sarah's beautiful. And he's worried that the men will kill him in order to take his wife. And so he says the same thing that Abraham said, which was, ugh, why do they do that? He says, she's my sister. Of course, you don't sort of kiss your sister like they were kissing. And it was a while, and, um, you know, everything was fine. They're thinking, oh, well, it's just a sister. Well, then um, Abimelech, who is the king of the area, the king of the Philistines, he looks out his window one day, and he sees Isaac kissing his sister in a very passionate way. And he goes, There's, that's no sister and he calls Isaac over and he says, why did you lie to us? Why did you tell us that she was your sister? Clearly she's not your sister. Clearly she's your wife. And he says, one of us might have taken her to be our wives, and then we would have sinned and it would have been on you. And it would have caused all kinds of grief for us. So what are you doing? Like, we've seen this story before with your dad a while back. 
So um, he says, out, get out. And so um, he, you know, moves a little bit further away and out of the area. But um, he's so prosperous, and, and he actually is a shepherd, but he plants um, seeds in a time of famine, which is crazy, and the Lord blesses it a hundredfold. Like, it, he just is crazy blessed and he has all these crops coming up and the herds are you know multiplying and the flocks are multiplying and the philistines are looking at him with huge jealousy and they say what is this how come this is happening why are you so blessed and the rest of us are suffering like this we can fix that so they go to the well that he uses to water all of his flocks and and herds and they put sand down the well so that the well won't work and so isaac moves you know, to another location. He does this three times. They keep chasing him because of their jealousy. Now, they could have chosen to love Isaac and embrace him. And what we've seen other times in Scripture is that when God blesses somebody, he also blesses those around them. And so, But instead of loving Isaac and choosing to, you know, be friends, they instead choose to be an enemy. And they keep stopping up these wells that he moves to until finally he moves um, up to Sheba and uh, there he's left alone and he renames it Beersheba, which is um, the well of Oath, which is where Abraham was when uh, he, you know, when, where he settled as well. So um, he's up in Sheba and Abimelech now is kind of figuring this stuff out. Abimelech um, is not a total bad guy. He comes to Isaac and he says, you know what, I can see clearly that God has been blessing you and um, it's not good that we're enemies. Like that's a bad thing because, you know, in his mind he's thinking you're really being blessed and we're not doing so well and you could come and you could just take us over and conquer us and this would be better if we would make a covenant between the two of us and uh, the covenant will be that, you know, obviously we've been so good to you. Well, what about all the wells that you stopped up? But, well, we don't want to remember that. And uh, we've been so good to you, so you should be so good to us, and we'll have a covenant that we won't hurt each other. So that will be our covenant. And um, Isaac agrees to this, and they have a covenant meal together, and they um, cut covenant, says Karath Barith. And so they cut covenant between them that what they're doing when they cut covenant is they're calling on God to be the witness to their covenant. That if one of them breaks the covenant, then they will pay the repercussions, which is death. So, But they're calling God to witness this and that God would be the one who would put them to death if they don't fulfill the, co- the terms of the covenant. And so Abimelech then leaves, and he leaves Isaac. But the, the covenant between these two men really is based on Abimelech's fear. Like, he has fear, and we know that Isaac also has fear because he wouldn't, you know, call Rebekah his sister if, if he didn't also have those fears. Now, Isaac go, does learn to go to the Lord, but Abimelech has fear, and man's covenants are usually based on fear. So we call them contracts in our culture. Why do we have contracts? because we're afraid the other person isn't going to fulfill their part of the contract. So we'll get it in writing, and we'll call on the law to be our witness to enforce the contract if somebody breaks the contract. And so it was similar to that. And it's just so different from God's covenant with us. 
And so often we think it's more of a contract with God. You know, if I perform and if I do these things and if I'm obedient, then God will bless me. If I do this, then God will bless me. And if I'm not doing so well, well, it must be I did something wrong and I broke the contract somehow and God is, you know, punishing me for this. It's not how God works. It's not how he operates. He operates out of love, out of real love, out of healthy, good love. And when he makes a covenant, he makes a covenant based on love. He says in John 3.16, he says um, that, well, John is writing, for God so loved the world, so loved the world, so it's based on love, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would have eternal life. What do we have to do to receive it? Absolutely nothing. It's a gift from God that he chose to to give us. And what do we do? The only thing we need to do is turn around and choose to love him in return, to believe him. We don't give him anything. There's nothing that we have that he could want. There's nothing we can do that he would want. He is complete without us, but he invites us in. And all that we need to do is to accept that invitation just like Rebecca did. And so um, God has made covenant with us, and love is a choice. God made his choice. I want to read to you from John 15, 16. And this is Jesus when he's talking to his disciples right before his death. And uh, it's at the Last Supper still, and um, he was teaching them about the New Covenant. But it's after that that he says to them, and they're fearful of what's coming, and he says to them, you know, that he's the vine and for them to abide in him. And then he says in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. And so um, Jesus said, you know, you didn't come to me first. I actually came to you first. And I chose you. I chose you from among all the people to come and be in a love relationship with me. And so he invites us in to have that love relationship with him. So if you haven't made that choice, he's actually calling you to make that choice. And it is a choice. He gives that freely because he wants freely your love in return. And so I would urge you, if you haven't made that choice to love him, that you would do so, that you would recognize his great love for you, that he came, he came and chose to die on the cross in order to take away the penalty of our sin. We're all condemned, every single one of us condemned. And he says, no, I am taking away that penalty, but I want you to come and be in that love relationship with me. That's how it's applied to us. And so without that covenant relationship with him, we're actually not able to receive his grace, even though he's freely offering it. And so that choice is super important. And it's a choice that can't be delayed. It's, he says to us, you know, it's now. Like Rebecca said, no, I'm going today, not 10 days from now. I'm going today. Today I make that choice. Uh, scriptures tell us, and we've heard this over and over, today is the day of salvation. But it's not just about salvation. It's actually about the actual walk as well. Each day we make this choice to walk in God's love, 
that we will trust him, that we will believe him, that we will not take back that trust that we placed in him the first time we trusted him, but that we will continue to love him and to let him love us. And so I would just urge you um, to choose this day, like Joshua said to all the people. When he was finished, he had done what God had called him to do, was um, coming to the end of his life, and he said, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods of this land or whether you will serve the living God. And so that's the choice that's before us. That's the love story that's given to us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do come to you and we bow down and we thank you sincerely for all the good things that you have brought into our lives. And Lord, we know, you know, that we have had some really rough times as well, that not everything has gone smoothly, yet every time you have been there and you have carried us through, even though sometimes we've lost sight of that. Lord, help us once again today to trust you, to love you, and to choose this day that we will always love you, no matter what comes, no matter how difficult it is, no matter who tries to dissuade us from following you, teach us today to really love you, to really trust you, to really believe you. And we would ask, Lord, that if there's others that um, are here and listening and maybe haven't really thought about this or maybe are or it's brought to their mind again by your grace, you are giving them more opportunity, Lord, today would be the day that they would trust and believe. So we thank you, Lord, for your good word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm going to read um, to you from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of the Lord, his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.